Libraries are very funny places. They're strange and troubled lands. Old librarians make very funny faces when you knock over book stands. Every building has a hundred thousand stories that have ne'er before been shared. And won't you be surprised at what is truth and what is lies when Librarians Anonymous is aired? And won't you be surprised at what is truth and what is lies when Librarians Anonymous is aired? Good evening, gentle listeners. Whether you are a returning member or a first-time visitor, we welcome you to this meeting of Librarians Anonymous. You can call me Jeeves. And you can call me Wooster. Your guides and sponsors through the weird, wonderful, and downright wacky behind-the-scenes world of libraries. Meeting called to order. This episode is a very special one for two reasons. Number one, this is the first episode Jeeves and I have recorded in the same room. That's right, Mr. Wooster is sitting across the table from me as we both enjoy a hot cup of Mandalorian-themed tea. The second reason that this is a very special episode is that we are coming to you fresh off the heels of C2E2, the Chicago Comic and Entertainment Exposition. While the event is barreling on as we speak, we wanted to take a pause to share some librarian perspectives on this convention and con, fandom, and culture in general. Fair warning, there may be some substantial Star Wars-related geeking out in this episode. We also wanted to give a shout-out to fellow librarian who has chosen the name Freddie Flowerdew, also from the Wooster universe, for acting as the third member of our trifecta of library nerds as we conquered the con. Before we get into the con shenanigans, it's time for our library shout-out. And this month's library shout-out is to all the public libraries who have updated their collections in the past few years to meet the needs of Comic-Con goers and fandom adherents through Makerspaces, Library of Things, and relevant collections. But specifically, we want to shout out our alma mater friends over at Urbana Free Public Library in Urbana, Illinois. Uh, Urbana Free Public Library has a makerspace and collection that includes sewing machines, 3D printers, and a broad collection of books and digital materials that help people create cosplay costumes, props, and their own makeovers. Yes, thank you, Urbana Free Public Library, for making it possible for everyone in your community to participate in fandom culture through cosplay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeeves, but this was your first major comic convention, right? I'm curious to hear what your expectations were versus what you experienced. Just considering we are still in COVID times, I was nervous about their precautions and I was ready to bail at any minute if I thought that things were not as safe as they should be or if the work wasn't being put in. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised both by the accessibility of the con as a first-time fan who was a little overwhelmed at, you know, at first, uh, how easy it was to navigate, how well they did the safety. Uh, we went through covid clearance multiple times we had to wear wristbands to prove that we were fully vaccinated and that we had our vaccination records had been checked uh even with that in place masks were enforced at all times including uh not only were you not allowed to i especially appreciated those who uh, coordinated their you know covert friendly mask with their costumes i saw you know a couple of jokers who had the big smiley face on the mask or one of my favorites was Luigi with the Luigi nose and mustache on the mask, which I, I really enjoyed that one. So panelists in many cases wore their mask or in the few cases where the panelists, many of them, you know, asked the audience for <laughs> their approval to take their mask off before talking, which was a very cool thing. And yeah, all of this, all of this under the qualification that we're all vaccinated. <laughs> we all went through the, all. they had a, an app for us to upload our information 
And then even with the app and the uploaded information, our, our IDs were checked and cross-referenced against the information in the clearance app. And so it was just, it was really nice. Uh, and I was joking at some point with Master Flowerdew during the convention that this also isn't the type of crowd to have the toxic masculinity and, and uh, conservative brainwashing that isn't seems necessary in, in flouting mask or mandates for this sort of event because we're all here and there's a good likelihood that we've all been bullied at one point in our lives for the the type of thing that we're here for which is joyful and genuine happiness and participation in you know entertainment and science fiction and fantasy pop culture and along those lines uh, i think that's a perfect segue to just point out and say the diversity and the inclusivity on display all around was fantastic, phenomenal. You know, treated any differently than any other fan. Everyone was just welcoming, friendly, happy, you know. Everyone taking pictures was asking consent from the people in cosplay to, you know, if they could take their pictures, which was such a great thing to see. There wasn't harassment that I noticed. I mean... With, yeah, with, there. <laughs> with the qualification that Mr. Mr. Wooster and I are both cis, cishet white men, uh, we understand that you know it's it's there are probably always going to be things that we're not going to pick up on, and and you know I'm I, I know we still have a long way to go, but I was I was happy to see just the, the general atmosphere of people getting to be themselves, and I think the last few years of work that's been done in fandoms and. Um, progress towards you know through stuff like crossplay and through we, we went to several panels that were represented um for specifically enhancing and empowering black creators black actors black writers uh, black artists um, so just that kind of representation really does a lot for the attendees as well last night we're still kind of buzzing from the thrill of the cosplay competition at the end and the non-binary and trans and genderqueer representation in the cosplay competition was amazing. It was, and you have a room of hundreds and hundreds of people screaming and cheering and ooing and eyeing at, at, at the costumes and looks that these, these individuals have created. And you just, it's a big celebration of diversity in a way that just did not exist 20, 30 years ago. We were both very heartened and happy to participate and to support the artists that we saw in Artist Alley. Uh, that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. We'll probably talk about artist alleys. Um, at one point, <laughs> uh, Mr. Wooster, Mr. Flowerdew uh, remarked, oh, we, we need to be aware that Jeeves is going to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> plenty, plenty of very intimate and lovely conversations with the mini artists because Jeeves just wants to be friends with everybody and it's an amazing <laughs> thing to see. One of the other things... Coming off of the last two years that we've had, yeah. this being one of the first major conventions, you could definitely feel that energy of people knowing that they were with fellow people who were part of their culture, practicing safe measures, and just enjoying themselves yeah. so much. You just really felt the happiness and enjoyment all around, and yeah. it was such a nice thing to see after the last few years we've had of yeah. being cooped up in our house or doing conventions online, just being in person, yeah. loving each other's, you know, costumes. I think we both got, you know, remarks on the different t-shirts we were wearing, which was, <laughs> were of course nerdy. Yeah. You could tell that people had a, a couple years of both emotional and creative buildup that they were just absolutely bringing. 
uh, with them to C2E2 this year. And as librarians, you like to see that. You like to see that people are engaging uh, intellectually and creatively. And the whole time that we're there, because this is a librarian's podcast, um, the whole time that we're there, you know, we want you to know that we are thinking, how can we support this? How can we do this? Uh, so that's a good segue, I think, into some of the panels. So we'll talk a little bit about the panels, then we'll go to Artist Alley, then we'll talk about some of the things that we brought home with us. Uh, but first, let's go to the panels. So uh, Mr. Wooster and I went to uh, about seven or eight panels in two days. First one that we started with was actually a library panel. It was about libraries. It was the title was Libraries, Nerds, Blurds, and Programming. Uh, it was about how libraries can support nerd culture, uh, also specifically uh, black nerd culture. Uh, Portmanteau Blurds is, is specifically talking about black nerd culture. They talked about their experience at BlurredCon in Washington, D.C. Uh, there's some several of our colleagues from the Chicago City Limits and the South Side Suburbs libraries presented the panel. And they just talked to librarians about how to create a network of diverse creators to... Uh, come and teach cosplay, to come and do book talks, to how, how we can encourage you know creators who are outside of the world of librarianship and don't necessarily know how to sell a program, how, to, how they can you know how we can get them on the library circuit and we can collaborate as a profession to make sure that specifically black creators, women, uh, trans non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer creators can be represented on the library circuit in order to make our library patrons who are interested in both cosplay and representation of, of their own identity and needs and experience in our libraries. So it was a really good panel. Miss Rooster, any thoughts from that panel? Uh, I think one of my favorite things that was the concept of grown-up specific geek meetups. Like uh, it's something you get a lot of in libraries where you have you know, you might have a Pokemon uh, meetup or, you know, some other video games or like a lot of like Wii when that was big. You would get this kids there and adults there and there'd be kind of this, they, you know, feel awkward being combined. And it's harder to get grownups involved in those things, even though, you know, grownups love this stuff as much as kids. So yeah. they talked about setting up certain geekdom specific grown-up events for people and that was a really really cool idea i would absolutely go to things like that if i had that opportunity yeah they talked it was it was great they talked about having just a general topic of fandom and then specific fandom nights so do a series one night a month you can even do it when the library is closed and just invite everybody to participate and the way that that works is a you're going to bring people into the library for their specific fandom, but then you can also gauge which night gets more attention. So if you do an 80s fandom night and it goes super, super well, and then you do an anime manga night for adults and it just does not do super well, then you know where you need to lean to. You know what the demographic in your, in your area is responding to. Or you can also say, okay, we did the same you know, marketing for one as the other. Maybe we need to switch up the marketing. It comes back to this idea that I know we've talked about on the podcast where libraries need to not be afraid of failure. Uh, we, we know that the demographics here, we know that there's a, an attitude and a stereotype towards libraries where they're kind of for kids and old people. And once you're in your, your money making years, as it's, you know, disgusting concept to think about, <laughs> the libraries are not for you. You need to be making money and you, you need to buy whatever you need to do to get through to the next workday. I think we also know that millennials and Gen Xers and even, you know, younger baby boomers and older baby boomers are part of fandom. 
there's great age representation at C2E2, which was exciting to see. We had old nerds talking to little nerds. It was great. Uh, so if you want them in your library, you need to try these things and not be afraid of failure. And I think that's what a, a great part of that panel was. Yeah, and along those lines, just to mention some of the best cosplay were the parent and children interactions, you know, or like well, one that I saw was a dad dressed as Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with his two kids who are Ghostbusters. And, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, a Toy Story group that I saw that were like Jesse, or I think a mom was Jesse and the dad was Buzz and the kid was Woody and they were you know, just adorable. And just seeing, you know, families partaking of this thing together was just awesome to mm-hmm. see. Yeah, and it's getting to the point where fandom is generational. And if you can encourage generational fandom, then you can, you know, cut down on the, the kind of gatekeeping that happens when you have old Star Wars fans versus new Star Wars fans, old Star Trek fans versus new Star Trek fans. Speaking of Star Star Wars, one of the great kid costumes I saw was a little toddler running around as Wicket from the Ewok from Star Wars. And he had just this giant group of people following him wherever he goes ooing and awing and nearly crying at how cute it was and his mom was just absolutely loving it uh the second section that i went to and <laughs> i'm gonna try to say this in a way that uh the second session that mr flowerdew and i went to uh, mr flowerdew is a youth services public librarian on the north side of chicago uh, and him and i went to uh this session on using graphic novels for social emotional learning Uh, Social emotional learning being um, learning on how to have empathy and how to connect with people on an emotional level, how to build your uh, emotional intelligence. So stuff like self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making, relationship skills, and social awareness that's outside of self-awareness. It was a really amazing session, and it talked about stuff like uh, how emanata in graphic novels and comics really help kids understand because emanata is stuff like thought bubbles or uh, pain symbols or emotional symbols like sweating or blushing or anything. Because what emanata does is it gives you a visual cue or a representative cue and an insight into what is going on in their mind. Uh, and so emanata in graphic novels can really help kids and you know people on the spectrum really understand the emotional condition of the characters that are interacting on the page in a way that things get lost in translation and text print. The session also talked about things like uh, using mood meters and having, you know, using Pictionary style activities if you're a librarian or an educator who has a classroom to help kids explain themselves and how damaging our, our normal ways of having kids express themselves it can be. Stuff like use your words where you know kids don't always have words. Uh, kids can't always put to words what they're feeling. And you know, using a diverse, diverse scale and more accessible scales like mood meters or drawing pictures or pointing to pictures or helping kids with metaphors can really help with their emotional social learning. That was a really great panel. I highly recommend it. That was done um, also through a, uh, it was a collaboration between some local librarians and a nonprofit group called Y Comics. And uh, Y Comics had a booth at the Artist Alley that uh, gave information on defending comics and graphic novels, both uh, for classrooms, libraries, and parents. Um, we will go ahead and post a, a link to that in the show notes. I will say for uh, those listening that I am very grateful to Mr. Jeeves for taking as many notes as he did because I was still 
just in the process of geeking out most of the time. And like you said, at the time of this panel, playing with the lightsaber I just purchased. Well, I mean, the panel, I mean, for, you know, it, this panel was really for public librarians and, and school teachers. So I don't blame um, Mr. Wooster, who you all know is an academic librarian, for choosing the lightsaber route on this one. <laughs> the third session we went to was extraordinarily good. Absolutely. Uh, it was amplifying black voices uh, in entertainment and technology. And it was pa- the panel was hosted by Ashley Woods, uh, who is an artist and, and comic illustrator. Um, I know Ashley has been working with Marvel and DC. She's recently broke into the field. And I know she's recently done a collaboration that has yet to come out with Amanda, Amanda Stenberg, who has just been announced to be the lead character on Disney Plus's The Acolyte Star mm. Wars series. I mean, Ashley Woods and Amanda Stenberg. I think that collaboration is going to be exciting. Uh, but then the panel itself was the Fly Nerds group from Chicago. Um, Christopher Adams from Impact Studio. Uh, Andy Warhol from Auspice Now. Uh, Cosmo Galactus. Koshi's Cole Stolzar. Moxie and K-Max Cubits uh, from Quantum Computing. Uh, and the whole panel was super knowledgeable. Uh, talked a lot about being local Chicago creators and people of color and you know how they work through burnout how they encourage each other how they do things independently how important it is to get technology in the hands of young creators and kids and doing so in a local setting you know making things available and uh, building their own kind of enterprises of you know whether it be studio or uh, software software thank you (laughs) software you know development and doing that locally and getting local kids and they talk about you know many of them how their background being growing up in chicago being nerds of color they definitely did not feel like they fit in with many of the others and they had to fight a lot of segregation in their own communities because they were the outliers of the outliers and it was just really inspirational to hear many of them talk yeah at one point during that panel i asked a question as a librarian sure public libraries don't have awesome budgets but we definitely have more money than independent creators to buy things that can be shared with the community so if they found themselves in the year of our lord 2021 back at the beginning of their career and they needed something to get started, they could get it at the public library, what would that be? And I believe it was Moxie and Ashley Woods who both said at the same time, iPads. Mm -hmm. Just access. Access to iPads to do their own creative work. Um, Software and then the education, either the classes, the materials, the books, in order to learn stuff like coding. I think libraries can really do that for people. Um, you know, all of these creators, they, they did, like, like Mr. Wooster said, they stressed the importance of ownership. They talked about how important it was that they owned their own studio so that they didn't have to depend on siloing and the, the, the tokenization of, of Hollywood. Oxie is a Chicago-based makeup and hair artist, and she talked about how terrible it's been in in all of history of entertainment for black actresses specifically uh to be on a set and there's no black hair and makeup creators you know so helping young creators get their start in a way that you know is not connected or tied to or dependent upon 
an industry in a world that is just systematically unfair to them. Uh, I think that libraries can participate in that. I don't think that we can claim ownership of that. <laughs> you know, I think, I, but I think the talent is out there, and if we can do a little part in making sure that kids who have a, a creative talent have like a comfortable and welcoming access to stuff like iPads and coding software and 3D printers and books about makeup and clothing design, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, one of the points that they made that I I think along the same lines that libraries can help out with is they they express working with the resources you have. Um, You know, they talked a lot about you can shoot a movie that looks good on your phone now. You can do photography that's pretty phenomenal on your phone. One of them made the joke that they made a movie that costs less than the catering for a TV show shot in Chicago. And, you know, it's just working with what you have and how libraries can... We can help them with that. We can provide 3D printers. We can provide books that help them learn. Like I know Adobe products were something that was mentioned as working. Um, One of the other things I really liked that they talked about was uh, basically the school of YouTube. Like how much these days you can find on YouTube that, you know, will teach you better than, you know, paying for hundreds of thousand dollars for, you know, film school. <laughs> One of them raised the exact cost of tuition at the Art Institute of Chicago. Versus the cost of a computer to do the, <laughs> you know, of YouTube, yeah. to teach himself it. Yeah. Well, it was... I think that's another point for librarians to recognize, too, is that we need to be willing to highlight and help people navigate free resources like podcasts and YouTube channels and, you know, resources that are maybe not vetted and maybe not as, as easy to catalog and categorize, but there are amazing podcasts and amazing YouTube channels out there that are helpful to people. And if we can help them sift through all the garbage of that and make things like, uh, you know, lib guides and, Mm. and reading lists and, and stuff, recommendations for, you know, these are the podcasts, YouTube channels that you can get for free that talk about these specific topics. So like in the context of C2E2, these are all of the YouTube creators that teach you how to do stage makeup. These Mm -hmm. are all the YouTube creators and podcasts that talk about, you know, the specifics of the fandom. These are all the YouTubers that are doing cosplay and they show you how to do little techniques to, you know, cut foam and to paint and to airbrush and stuff. That's the sort of thing that like, you know, how valuable is that to us? And the only thing that it really takes for us to present that as a, as a library is to ensure that A, that we have computers and we're welcoming enough to people that they can come in and use them and B, the time of the librarian into making the recommendations for where they need to go to, to, to get the good stuff. And while, while we went to several other panels, uh, several of them were author-based or certain, focused on, you know, specific creator. And those were all excellent, but I think we should wrap this up, uh, I would say, with the world-building yes. panel, yes. which was one of my favorites that we yeah. attended. Session number four was world-building, and uh, that was exciting. It reminded me a lot more of the panels that I'm, I've been to before uh, at different library conventions. It was four different authors, uh, J.S. Dews of the Divide series, Sue Burke of the Semiosis series, uh, one of my personal favorites, Delilah S. Dawson, uh, who co-authors The Tales of Pell, as well as um, uh, Phasma and Black Spire, Fireflies the Sting, uh, Space Pig or Star Pig. Some uh, Minecraft titles. Yeah, some Minecraft titles, Star Wars Adventures. And then, of course, uh, one of the highlights of the conference was Timothy Zahn of the, uh, the Thrawn series. Which, if you've never read any of the Star Wars books, you cannot go wrong reading anything 
Timothy Zahn wrote for the yeah, <laughs> I think it's, honestly, it's one of those things where Star, you know, George Lucas created Star Wars, Timothy Zahn created the Star Wars literary universe. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, I, it's, I won't argue with that. <laughs> um, he has written for both canon and legends. Um, some of the original Star Wars books that extended the universe of the movies and captured the imagination of millions of fans. Uh, the original Thrawn series, starting with Heir to the Empire, came out in 1991, and his most recent Thrawn book just came out two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, it, in the second panel that we were in with him, I asked him very, very clearly, you know, do you think that the Thrawn, you know, in 10 years, it's possible for the Thrawn cycle to eclipse the Skywalker saga? And uh, he did not seem... You know, to shy away from that. <laughs> so, uh, Timothy Zahn is an incredible deal to the Star Wars universe. And to have these four incredible authors in one panel, just talking about world building, was cool both as, you know, Mr. Wooster and I both select for sci-fi fantasy and, and graphic novels, but also as, you know, librarians that are going to find ourselves in the process of talking about books with world building and, and, and making recommendations, reading recommendations for creators who are dealing with their own world building problems. Yeah, and there was a lot of great um, advice given, a lot of, you know, several of the people who asked questions in the panel were definitely... The hosts were all very gracious and gave some amazing advice to people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Timothy Zahn made a couple points that I'd like to highlight here. One of them is a balance of consistency points, so not getting too much in the dregs. Um, the, like the only world rule of world building for him was to keep the attention of the reader. So anything that, that knocks them out because it's it's too outlandish or, or too lazy is going to not keep the attention of the reader. But he likes to do things like uh, consistency checks. So are people in your universe doing things in, in a way that is consistent with them as, as either humans or, or bipedal creations? So he mentioned... Um, and this might get cut out. It's a little extemporaneous, but he mentioned uh, the scene in Empire Strikes Back where Lando needs to rescue Luke from the satellite poles of Bespin. And you'll notice that when Lando uh, leaves through the safety hatch, he has to clip himself in. And when he clips himself in, the door opens. And when he unclips himself, the door closes. And just that's a very thing. That's a thing that would happen in any universe. That's how things work. That you can't just you know open a open a, a safety catch in a starship and expect you know things to go well unless there's some form of you know pattern or safety or, or ritual to do so. Uh, he also said, uh, and this is this is what I think should probably be in more than that last anecdote. Uh, he gave the audience this incredible acronym, and he said he follows the acronym Persia. Uh, that world building needs to include. Politics, economics, religion, uh, society, like social structure, uh, intellectual structure, and art. So Persia, P-E-R-S-I-A. I thought that was a phenomenal. And also for the fans out there, I think uh, that's Thrawn in a nutshell, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. was, I thought, huh, I wonder if he... <laughs> He thought about that with the character. Yeah, though. and his and Thrawn as a character, his his um, strategic genius comes from his ability to listen and learn about you know uh, either an individual or a culture or a movement on the basis of how they come to being. So, in in within Zahn's world building, there is Thrawn's world building, which mm-hmm. is brilliant. 
Delilah Dawson on the same point said, you know, when you're doing your world building, think of it as a triangle and start with, start with two things, start with either the society or the impetus, the storyline, and then you can work out your characters from there or start with the character and the society. And then you can find from those two things, the, the tragedy or the, uh, the, the call to arms that you need to, to get your story going, which I thought was also great. I would love to point out too that as Chiefs has said, Timothy Zahn is probably one of the biggest names in the Star Wars literature, but he was also, I thought, incredibly humble, made several jokes about how, you know, he was just writing to pay for his family or, you know, to pay for his house and, you know, just trying to brush off a lot of the praise and things he got in staying home and also praising the fans a lot. He brought on, when he did his own spotlight panel, a Muppet version of Thrawn that someone had made for him and you could tell he was just in love with it and so thrilled to receive it as a gift and you know, it was just nice to see the author being appreciated and also appreciating the fans. Mm-hmm. So I think we should move on to Artist Alley. Absolutely. Artist Alley was wonderful. I spent a lot of time in Artist Alley. There's something about you know seeing artists at Comic-Con. I, I, I remarked to, to Mr. Flowerdew at one point that there wasn't a single artist there that I was just like, oh, they're not very good. Or, oh, I, you know, I hope they do okay because, like, their stuff doesn't look great. Everybody looked good. Mm, there was some absolutely amazing work. And then there was stuff that I wouldn't have normally found myself drawn to necessarily in the art. Or, you know, what I like as art, but I enjoyed everything that I saw. Yeah. And some of the fun things of people combining universes or just bringing their own unique creations to so you'd have you know a, a named comic book author sitting next to someone who draws cute little cats mm-hmm. you know and just it was so cool to see everyone just displaying their art sharing their art selling their art and being supported um i think almost everyone i saw walking around the convention not the artists themselves but just people almost everyone had a piece of art they mm-hmm. were walking away with you know or bags or Poster tubes full. And zines. Yeah, zines. Uh, originals, autographed comic books, <laughs> autographed books. I, I think the important point for our, our podcast listeners and the world of librarianship is that every single booth out of the uh, probably, what, 600, 700 booths? Uh, usually, Alley, I'd say. There was quite a few. Every single booth would have made a killer program mm-hmm. for your mm-hmm. library on drawing, on writing, on the history of their own work, whether it's a book pro- book program or a how-to program. Uh, it's just, it, it was incredible. Every single one of them, I took so many business cards. My pro- <laughs> our program in our department is going to hate me. I'm going to just inundate her uh, this week with, you should call this person, you should call that person. They're local. They, they would love to come out. Do we want to talk about the things that we got in Artist Alley? Oh, you you bought far more than that in Artist Alley, so I'll let you. <laughs> I, I bought a lot of presents for my partner, who loves artwork. There's a couple things that she likes uh, that I found intersections of, including uh, Memento Mori and fat animals. So I bought her a Memento, Mori, a Memento Mori print with a fat crow on top of a skull. And it is adorable. <laughs> uh, for myself, I ended up, Mr. Booster and I got to meet some incredible uh, names from the comics universe. Uh, he and I both met uh, the legendary Wolverine creator, uh, Chris Claremont. Yes, one of the, so much of what most people think of the the chemistry and the the foundations of the 
X-Men comics is all thanks to Chris Claremont. And, you know, his legacy is still heavily felt in those comics today, which are seeing a resurgence, which I'm happy about because I'm an old school X-Men fan. That was where I went from reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics to Spider-Man to X-Men was my evolution to, like, (laughs) hardcore comics. And, you know, X-Men was probably the biggest period of that. And, yeah, it was really cool to meet. And he was... One of the things we both commented on is when people brought him material of his own to read, he, or not to read, to sign, he would flip through the pages and kind of reflect on, oh, you know, have little anecdotes for everyone or just kind of take in and be, you know, pleased to see the stuff that people were bringing. And uh, I was wearing uh, a Wolverine shirt. Well, it's a t-shirt I bought at a different convention several years back that it was, uh, Abraham Lincoln as Wolverine and it's just kind of one of those fun shirts and he he enjoyed that and made comments and then talked to us a bit about his takes on the Wolverine movies which was a fun chat to have and that's another thing just for listeners like I wish I hadn't I wish I had done more in the weeks upcoming to CCUE2 to advertise that these authors were going to be in town for my patrons because I know that I have readers you know in the graphic novel collection that would have loved to have the experience that we had with chris claremont and i should have you know we should have it's a resource in town yes it's it costs money uh yes there we have no connection with you know our public library and and c2b2 whatsoever but like these authors are a resource and if we can you know if, if we can't afford to get them here in our libraries we should definitely at least make sure that our patrons are aware that that these things are going on um another author on Artist Alley that we got to meet, that both Mr. Wooster and I got to meet, is Charles Soule. Uh, Charles Soule, I'm a big fan of his work. Um, recently did a book talk for the library on Light of the Jedi, the first book in the High Republic series. Uh, but also his comic book series. He, he spearheaded the Poe Dameron series. He spearheaded the Lando books. He also did uh, an amazing Darth Vader series uh, that was recently uh, reprised by Kieran Gillen. And Chris Claremont uh, was awesome. Charles Soule was fantastic. Um, also, uh, shout out to Anderson's Bookstore, who uh, puts on also in book, book Breakfast in Naperville. They were there, and they gave us the ability to meet Delilah S. Dawson after her panel as well. I got my Phasma book signed. And I also want to give them a big shout out because... But almost all the authors they brought were up-and-coming women's yeah writer women yeah. writers who women are non-binary trans yeah, yeah yeah and and it was so cool to see the fan bases interact with those individuals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh we didn't do much autographing or celebrity meet and greets um we both got to uh meet timothy zahn afterwards uh i met diana lee in Otsanto who played the magistrate on the mandalorian uh, but I, I, I'm a big fan of hers for her pedigree. She's the daughter of Dan Inosanto from Hawaii Five-O and the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. And she's just a really cool lady. An amazing actor and martial artist. And I really am looking forward to whatever she does next. Uh, I picked up some zines. I got Armor Up by Ariel Chan, who's a Chicago artist. Uh, I got a Sketches from the Galaxy by Aaron Leffler. And then uh, some art prints. Got a Hinges, book one of the Clockwork City by Meredith McLaren, uh, who did uh, some Adventure Time graphic novels that I really appreciated. I wanted to get some of her original work as well. One of the things that we encountered, and this was right adjacent to to uh, the Artist Alley, was the Chai Con 8, I think is. Mm-hmm. Or, 
Chicago Con 8 <laughs> check. Uh, but um, they were offering free books, free sci-fi books to fans. And it was just very cool. They had a, it was donation-based. And they were just, you know, amongst all this commerce and people were spending thousands of dollars around us without batting an eye. But it was cool to see this group just giving out free books to anyone who wanted them, especially nerdy sci-fi books that you know yeah. things we definitely approve of yeah know. the chicago science fiction society yeah. was there on, on behalf of ChaiCon 8 which will be happening september 1st through 5th in 2022 yeah they were pretty much operating a giant little free library mm-hmm. which is really cool because there's people like us who are there on a professional pass and uh have a limited budget and uh we didn't take any we left everything we left all the books for for others but uh, it was really cool to just see you know local representation um, they're also promoting Capricorn, which is one of my favorite, uh, smaller conventions that I've been to in the past. And that's happening February 3rd through 6th, uh, 2022 in Chicago. Uh, we kept Mr. Wooster away from the tattoos. <laughs> yes. That was... I, I was very tempted. There were some very awesome tattoo artists and it would have been cool to get a, a con exclusive tattoo, but I, I, I bought a lightsaber instead and <laughs> for, for time reasons. We won't go into detail. <laughs> So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the convention, how it matters, how conventions... Do we want to talk a little bit in general about just why we think that fandom needs to be supported by libraries and how we can do that as public and academic librarians? Absolutely. One of my previous libraries that I worked at, we hosted our own Comic-Con. Well, I believe we called it Pop Culture Con to, you know, avoid any copyright and... (laughs) litigious nature that might come from some of the bigger cons but um it was a fun thing to experience but it's a lot of work and i have to say i i appreciate all the people who worked with c2e2 to make this happen and to bring it and you know having done you know a fraction of that planning and wrangling of vendors and artists i can only imagine the (laughs) the scope of what they had to do um but it is something that is manageable within your library if you've got uh, I think there was a team of four or five of us who did it for our library to put the con together. You just, you know, it's it's a lot of dedicated time, maybe some outside of the regular work hours. But if it's something you think people can enjoy, why not try it? Why not, you know, bring in some people who maybe aren't library users and so, hey, we have a great graphic novel selection, you know, and you don't have to buy it. You can read it for free or... Or, you know, we have 3D printers where you can print parts for your cosplay costume. And I think we will have to wrap this up with a discussion of the cosplay contest, which oh, was yeah. one of the highlights easily. Yeah, absolutely. And and my library's done a little bit of cosplay programming. We haven't done like a larger con, but I think it, it's just important that you can take any part of the blueprint and use it to tell people in your area who think libraries might be stuffy and intellectual and you know a resource for you know the the educated and and upper class people in your population and say no this is for everyone what are your interests let's explore them together whether it's just one program or a larger program or a series of programs or just resources and highlighting your collection it's a good thing to interact with pop culture because that's what people like or even simply just to bring fandoms together maybe Mm -hmm. not in a comic con but just you know oh there's a lot of people in this area who play pokemon go let's have you know, a meetup for them, and um, or there's a lot of Dresden file readers. Let's you know set up some time for them to meet up and chat and share what they love. Just things like that that you can you can do. What all you really need is you know a 
a public area and maybe some snacks. Snacks always bring people in. <laughs> uh, but just, yeah, just set up that time to let communities build themselves. Just give them a little guidance and a little help with the space and maybe some, you know, icebreaker starting points and just see how things go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you tried it. Yes, on to the grand finale of the weekend in our episode, the costume contest, the cosplay competition. Um, I was blown away. I did not think I was going to get into the event as as I did. Uh, I didn't think that I was going to be as astounded by the... I knew that they were going to be good, but I just like... It felt like it felt like a World Series. It felt like uh, of the big time, and we were watching a lot of talent and a lot of skill and a lot of work walk across that stage. And it was, uh, as we mentioned with the rest of the convention, a very very diverse group, um, age range, and you know backgrounds and. And then, the, yeah, there was a, the, the winner of the entire contest was a sound wave that you know carved each individual piece out of EVP foam and had a removable cassette tape and like you know there's just everybody was as intensely good as each other and it was just cool to just see the creativity and the variety and i i think that this is gonna last a long time i think that cosplay is here and it's going to be a big deal and it's just gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger so let's jump on this libraries let's let's help people let's get like urbana free let's get some sewing machines let's bring in some some diverse cosplayers to teach programs uh, and let's make sure that our collections have stuff on uh, putting together cosplay looks. And uh, Jeeves mentioned this earlier, and we didn't really discuss what it meant, but the, the concept of crossplay, which if you're not familiar with, is gender swapping roles. So having like a female Doctor Strange or a male uh, Sailor Moon, something like this. And those were all just as embraced as many of the best costumes that i know i personally witnessed were people of other genders cosplaying uh their favorite characters and just knocking it out of the ballpark and Mm -hmm. i know from my own history with cons from way back in the day that that was not a thing that was embraced for a long time there was that that you know toxic masculinity this is ours you know you can't do that and that character's a boy, you can't do yeah, that. Yeah, that character's or, skinny, you can't That character's that. white, you can't be them. Yeah. You know, and that was common, and it was something that was commonplace. And now, especially this time, I didn't feel any of that. I felt so much support and so much just love for everyone just appreciated the craft. They appreciated the enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there wasn't the gatekeeping. There wasn't the false idea of ownership for these characters or the body shaming or yeah. the yeah it was good it was really positive and you know and before we we wrap up here we just want to thank you for putting up with us <laughs> sharing our <laughs> enthusiasm and you know running off the natural high we had of interacting with some yeah. incredible people and meeting fans and just lovely people from all over the place doing what they love and it was such a super super event to attend especially coming off of the year we've had yeah and mr wooster and i try to make this really relevant to libraries a lot of podcasts can just end up being a a buddy buddy conversation thing but uh on a personal note i had a great weekend with mr wooster we had a religious experience with some some dumplings in chinatown together and it, you know it was, it was a great time and i think that this this type of thing as well conventions going to conventions 
and participating with things outside of your library as a professional can really curb some burnout. I feel really great. I feel like I have a lot of this stuff to bring back into work when I go in tomorrow. And uh, I think that's a good thing. I think I'm energized and I think that Mr. Wooster is too. I also think it would be a great thing if you are not a comic fan, if you are not someone who necessarily is into sci-fi, just to experience this. Just, I think you could learn more about why people love what they love just from being around such enthusiasm. And I'm not saying that it'll convert you necessarily, but I think you can definitely grab, get an appreciation that you didn't have before, just seeing how much it's embraced, how enthusiastically people just love to share what they create, what they love. It's just an amazing experience all around. And I highly recommend if you have the chance to go to a convention, whether it's you know, big or small in your area, to to do that and to, you know, just enjoy it. Enjoy the experience that it brings to you. We'll leave you tonight with some quotes from a renowned science nerd and the doctor of sci-fi fame, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Matt Smith. Neil deGrasse Tyson says, If people of Comic-Con rule the world, then tomorrow would be invented every day. And former Dr. Matt Smith says, I think that if the world was a bit more like Comic-Con, we'd all be a little happier. Meeting adjourned. theme song was adapted and performed by Catherine Rose. You can listen to more of Catherine's music the last Friday of every month at 7 p.m. Pacific time at facebook.com forward slash Catherine Rose Folk or Mondays on her radio show, The Celtic Music Hour on KOCF 92.7. And if you have a library story you'd like to share, you can email us at librariansandonpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook for searching... You can also find us on Facebook by 